0: Do you, uh, Craig? When you're sequencing records these days, do you like you know? Because obviously, at the time, you know, I think thinking about side A, side B was sort of something that uh, uh, people were cognizant of. Is that does that factor into your thinking at all, or is it just like one to ten or one to fifteen, whatever it is?
1: Because of my age, I think I'll always sequence to LP, you know. And I think it's also just it's convenient in some way. I mean, it's just how I think about things. So it's like it kind of gives you that that you know you get to you get to kind of close out a side so you think about that and then you get how are we gonna how are we gonna open side too you know it's uh there's all these um I don't know there, it almost makes it more fun it it definitely makes it more fun and it's just how I think of things I think you know I usually am thinking of Ten songs, too. You know, like gotta totally. get, you know, gotta get to fifteen so I can make ten good ones or something like that. You know, um, but yeah, I'm. St- I think I'm just stuck in in you know as an uh, someone who started buying LPs as a kid. No,
0: yeah, that's what uh, I mean. That's what we're all about here. I, I love a ten song record. I think is like the perfect amount of songs on a record. Like that's that's it. Five songs on side A, five songs on side B. A legacy rentals also. You know, just not to toot your horn too much, but the sequencing on that is impeccable. The way that like. The last two songs, I think, uh, "Break from the Barrage," and uh, this is what it looks like at the yeah, end. It's yeah, just a really such a graceful way to close that. I, I yeah, I think I I, I think it's like
1: uh, um, I don't know. There, there, there's something of, there's something lucky in some way that so many people are listening to again on vinyl. I feel mm. like in my own in my own career, like I've always thought of it that way. But then, like, there was probably a middle part, you know, like where people were hearing it. You know, on a CD or or right. digitally, uh, but now it feels like people really are talking about. You know, I like the first song inside too. People say stuff like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Um, the sides of a record. It's uh, an essential element to listening to rock and roll music.
1: You know, uh, the one thing I, I wanted to bring up that I read just cause, I just because it popped in my mind, not because it's important about Average Guy. Please, but uh, one of the things that was. Um, quine did was um tune down uh, mm. a full step so if lou was in g quine would be playing an a mm. and he just thought the strings would kind of ring nicely um and uniquely you know by doing that and that was just something he came up with too that he wanted to try and he said i think he said that's how it is on the whole record he just was uh Tuned
0: um, slightly, you know, just down, just just for a different chiming, kind a little of bit thought. lower than yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the way that the two of them I think interlock with one another as guitarists on this record is kind of the story, or one of the stories of this album, and and one of the most you know uh, exciting parts of listening to it. Not only because if you're listening to it in stereo, it's literally Lou in the right channel and quiet in the left all the mm. way through, and then sometimes you know they kind of come together as dual rhythm guitarists or dual lead guitarists and kind of clash and sync up with one another in interesting ways Um, Do you know if Lou had been playing
1: a lot of guitar on the records before Prior to this, has he? did he always play guitar or did he give it up at some point?
0: He didn't give it up necessarily, but he did start to. I read about this in um, uh, Anthony De Curtis's book, you know, doing a little bit of research for this. He, he had started to rely more on the band and, and the session guys that he brought in. And he was a little um, uh, hesitant to put his guitar chops on display because he felt a little kind of... Um, uh, insecure in his ability as a virtuosic guitarist and that was also another thing that Quine did was tell him you're a fucking incredible guitarist you kick ass because Quine was a huge Velvet Underground head from way back in the day oh, yeah. he'd followed them around and made his own bootleg tapes and shit and that came out as a uh, a bootleg record you know a couple of years ago the Quine tapes or something like that um, and uh, I mean uh, Quine you know working with Lou was kind of there was an element of like working with your hero here. And he, I think, to a large degree, got him back up on the horse and pumped him up enough to be able to come out. And, you know, I think Quine is the lead guitarist, if there is going to be a lead guitarist Mm -hmm. on this record. But Lou more than holds his own, you know,
1: throughout. I I did see Lou in the 90s sometime live. And and there was a lot of guitar, a a lot of live guitar solos. There was a lot of guitar playing. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. They they were touring with Luna and and I remember Dean Wareham came out and they were jamming. I think it was on a Velvet Underground song, but I can't really remember. But there was a lot of guitar moments.
0: Damn, that is sick. Dean coming out to jam with Lou. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah, he didn't so he
2: didn't mention that when he was
0: like... Yeah, we the we, we had Dean on a couple uh, oh, months really? ago to talk uh, loaded, um and we okay. talked to him about open Luna Luna opening Ford the Velvets on their like European reunion tour from ninety three, but he didn't mention that he himself got up on stage and played with yeah. I guess that was just Lou solo you saw him? Yeah, and yeah.
1: I, I don't think I'm making this up. No, no, there's, uh,
0: <laughs> we'll ask we'll ask Dean about it. I'm sure he would he would remember. There's that too. picture it was, of
2: him and uh, Laurie, and um, yeah, it's Dean Lou and Laurie, like all after a show, I believe. So it might have been yeah. that show.
1: I believe it was at the Orpheum Theater in Minneapolis. Uh, it might have been the State Theater, but I'm almost positive it was uh Orpheum.
0: Hell yeah. Well we'll, uh, well, we'll ask Dean about it next time we uh, wrangle him onto the show. Yeah, um, please do.
2: And if you, for some reason, don't know uh, Quine and his discography, I mean, he also, uh, most famously, at least to me, uh, and I'm sure many others, was on uh, Richard Hell and the Voidoids' Blank mm-hmm. Generation and, and Richard Hell's uh, Destiny Street. Um, these are, you know, yeah. major records for myself and and many others but um, I mean you listen to blank generation like I think it was probably my
1: first uh, exposure to his music and his playing I mean classic and then later they did that um very big the Matthew Sweet record uh, girlfriend I think he played on right I wanna love
2: somebody.
1: was a big alt-rock record in the probably i guess it was probably when i was in college early 90s maybe and um and 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 seemed to get um i think both him am i right in thinking both him and richard lloyd played on that yes Um, wow i didn't yeah
0: yeah, that's a hell of a i and Matt, I will confess, Matthew Sweet is someone that I'm aware of the name, but I have like virtually zero kind of familiarity with his lyric. Evan and I were texting with our buddy Stephen Hayden about mm-hmm. this, you know, doing this podcast earlier today, and he mentioned that same record, and I had never mm. heard of it, but it's on – it's like fucking tip top of my list to listen to at this point because, I mean, Lloyd and Quine together – in the like early nineties or something behind some sort of alt rock singer like that. It's a cool
1: it's familiar. a cool record. It's like I don't really know that much about his other part of his catalog, but that record's pretty cool. Certainly the guitar playing is
0: hell yeah. Um presumably average guys everywhere loved that album. Um, mm-hmm. average guys, uh, with, uh, 98.2 degree body temperatures, um, which is a little lower than average, actually, if you think about it, um, if you think and, about uh, it, guys, Are you a medical doctor, Ian? 98.6, come on. Okay.
1: I have a nurse in the house and um yeah, what's the uh, my partner my partner Angie ner- as, as a nurse and she, uh, well you know during covid when we were taking our temperatures a lot uh in you know uh hypochondriac uh she sure. said she says it's generally a little lower than uh,
0: 98.6 well all right i guess Lou knew better than i did that's right <laughs> i shouldn't be surprised um paging yeah, dr well- reed exactly he's got uh, big liver and hurts to to the touch Uh, he's worried about taxes Uh, he's no criminal or reverend cripple from the right Um, he's just an average guy the guitar I mean the guitar riff on this is also just like so much fucking fun average guy I'm just your average guy And the version of this that they get on the uh, the live in Italy record a couple years later, where it's kind of sped up like at one and a half times or something, is just such a beautiful kind of groove. Uh, this is, I mean, it, 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 on any given day, I think any of these songs could be my favorite record favorite song from this record. But like right now, I think Average Guy is because it's just so much fun to listen to. On, on that note, I would say if your liver hurts to the
1: touch, you it's, are not in average health. You're not <laughs> you're in less no, than yeah. below average health. You
2: might be average for the way you worry about that, but your liver <laughs> is definitely not doing averagely. It's bad. It's worse than average. Uh, That's bad.